Hello and welcome to Plotress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing All About Passion by Stephanie Lawrence. This is number seven in the Sinster series and was published in 2001. And as you know, we subtitle each of our Sinster episodes. So the first one was basically just like, we didn't subtitle it. It was just like batshit. We were like, this is batshit. And then after that, it's batshit in Scotland or batshit with horses. So this one is subtitled Honorary Batshit because it is the first one that does not feature a sinster by name. As one of the paramours. Correct. So let's dive yeah. right in with the jacket. Let's do it. If one is not marrying for love, one may as well marry for something else. My future countess has to be sufficiently docile and endowed with at least passable grace of form, deportment, and address. Fate has made Giles Rawlings a man determined to control his destiny. He has decided to wed a well-bred lady who will dutifully bear him sons, yet turn the blind eye when he takes his pleasure elsewhere. By all good accounts, Francesca will fit his bill. As for the elsewhere, he's recently encountered a beautiful, brazen siren who will make a fine mistress, one with a fiery nature to match his own. But at the altar, Giles discovers his bride is the bold enchantress who has inspired his deepest fantasies. Finding passion and love in the same woman has long been a secret fear. But as his world is rocked on its axis, Giles becomes obsessed with possessing the one thing he thought he would never want, his wife's heart. Yep. <clears throat> they, I mean, yes, except they, they, they leave out one important thing, which, uh, we meant we, which I mentioned, at least in my summary. So I'm going to go ahead and just read it. And the random number this week was 16. So here's my 16-word summary. Giles decides to marry his cousin. Unfortunately, he doesn't figure out which cousin until the ceremony. Correct. And my summary. Francesca is a sinister-adjacent wife. Perfect countess, headstrong, really into sex, and target of a murderer. So, I mean, you know what you're going to get with Stephanie Lawrence. Batshit with a murder plot. And this book is hilarious because... The courtship confusion is like the first third of the book. Then the next, more than a third, like the next solid chunk is just their marital conflict. Yep. Which is they really like each other and that makes him angry. Basically, yeah. And then the end all of a sudden is murder plot. And then, yeah, there's a murder plot that just gets kind of shoved in there. It's very tacked on. It's hilarious. Yeah. So we have a lot of tropes, but a lot of times with these sinister ones, we just kind of go through the book because they come up naturally. I mean, the first one is the whole mistaken identity, right? Because of, it's, oh my God, it's so, it's, it's so stupid. It's so ridiculous. And it just makes Giles seem like the stupidest guy. Don't you, like, to, yes. So didn't first, you feel that way? Yes. So first of all, even before he goes to actually offer for this woman. He doesn't ask anyone to see a picture. Nah. He doesn't. They're also related. Yep. And to the point that when he first meets her guardian, his thought is, we look alike. Yeah. Gross. Gross. But then he sees what he thinks is his docile English miss, 
ignores her, is like, cool, she'll make a good wife, then runs into, as the book jacket says, Francesca herself, who is a bold, fiery siren. And he thinks, because she's dark and speaks with a slight Italian accent, that she is obviously a servant? No, he thinks he's she's a friend of his wife because he knows. So he knows that his intended grew up in Italy and, and is half Italian and is half Italian. But then he sees this like milksop blonde English miss and he's like, "Oh yeah, that's her." <laughs> but then he meets this other woman who's the same age as his intended, has dark hair, is beautiful, has an Italian accent and he doesn't think Hmm, maybe I'm mistaken. And what you're supposed to believe allowed this to continue is that he heard someone yell, Francesca, Franny, and the milksop blonde responded. Yeah. And the twist is Francesca's cousin's name is Francis, but Francis goes by Franny and Francesca goes by Francesca. I can't. My eyes are rolling so far back in my head. And they, because they were both named after their paternal grandfather, Francis. Right. Yeah, Giles is, Giles is really stupid. So he decides he doesn't want to fall in love because his dad died when he was little? You know, all the sisters, and we have to count Giles as a sister, because if you remember at the end of All About Love, he was he was nominated to be an honorary sister. So I guess those honorary degrees Whatever. endow you with things. We never really know why the sisters don't want to get married, because every single one of them is like, I ain't getting married. Like, I'm not getting married. I'm not doing it. And then they get married and they fall in love. Like, that's the next step. But it's never explained anywhere why they don't want to get married. Yeah, I mean, I think the closest you could say is that they see how besotted every man in their family is with his wife. And they want to put that off as long as possible because they like being free. I don't know. It makes no sense. I I guess, but I'm like, aren't they, they all know that the sinister men are like happiest when they're married, right? So I guess I just don't understand. Anyway, the whole thing is like completely illogical and stupid. And then the whole fact is that Giles is like, well, I'm not going to fall into the same trap as you sinsters. I'm going to arrange this marriage of convenience for myself. Oh, also, why, why does he decide to marry his cousin? Because her dowry is some of his land. It takes a little chunk out of his land. And so he, he's like, tries to find the most convenient reason for a marriage of convenience the, we lost some of our estates ages ago, and this is a way to get some of it back. Mm-hmm. So such a trope. Right. Yep. But, but anyway. Giles, it, his reason for not wanting to get married is that his dad died. I guess. And the loss was too much for him to bear. But you don't, you only find out about that secondhand and, like, yeah. much later in the book. So at the beginning, he's just like, I'm not, not getting married to a woman that I could fall in love with. And he also feels the need to get married and produce heirs, one, because it's despairing, but two, because his cousin and heir is unsuitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, not evil, but unfit. Not evil, but unsuitable. All, I will say in this one, the cousin doesn't want to be the Earl either. The cousin's just like, uh-uh, way too much responsibility for me, so please get yourself an heir. Yep. So I, I liked that part. No, but unsuitable heir. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, so, so, so crazy. So he sees this blonde 
lady runs, like literally runs into Francesca. Like she's running because they're calling her name. So she's running. She, she like hits him. And then they both feel this like instantaneous attraction to each other. As, as per usual. Yep. <laughs> this is her book. Um, but then she knows that he's asked for her hand. So she knows who he is. And it, it actually makes a lot of sense for her to interpret his actions as I'm going to get to know my future bride. And so you do understand a lot of why she is acting the way she's acting. Like she's like making out with him all over the place, basically. Um, she thinks they're practically betrothed. Right. Because it's so, making up her mind. Yeah, so it makes total sense. Um, and then the other, okay. Lauren's managed to like protract this as long as she can because Giles doesn't even want Francesca to come to his estate until like two days before the wedding and then there's a storm so they can't even get there until the night before the wedding and then when they get there because of the storm Giles was called to the corner of the estate to deal with the bridge collapse so they finally encounter each other on the lawns the night before the wedding in the dark on their horses because these are horse people. If you're wondering if there's more horse people, there are more horse people. There are, yeah. And so, and that's the thing too. So Francesca can't sleep. So she's like, I will put on my riding habit and go ride under the moonlight. I was like, okay, this seems a On this insane. horse that he told his grooms he brought bought for a lady. And she's like, cool, he bought me a horse. Which, thinking it's a wedding gift, Fine. Why did Giles buy this random woman a horse that he didn't think he was ever going to see again? Because that's the thing. He's been making out with her all around town. Like, he wants to just really do this lady. But he knows that he really shouldn't because she's friends with his his affianced bride. So he's like, okay, I'm going to do my best to avoid her. But I bought her a horse. And later he says it's because she was riding unsuitable horses. Like the horses she was riding were too big for her and she couldn't control them. So he was going to send it to her as like a parting gift of his esteem or something. I don't know. But um, she's a beautiful Arabian mare. Named Regina. Well, Francesca names her Regina. She doesn't have a name at the beginning. I see. And the way she, yeah. The way she talks about the horse, or talks to the horse, is like super sexy too. Yeah. She's like cooing to it and like has the sensual. She, I imagine that Francesca has that like really that husky voice, you know. That well, and she talks to horses the way that several of our previous heroines have talked to locks. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Very bizarre. Um. So they go out riding. They, they go back to the stable, and then what do they do? Like, Francesca jumps his bones, basically. She's like, we're getting married tomorrow, so let's do it here in the stables. He bought me this really amazing horse. This is awesome. I would still go inside. Just me. I probably would, too. Let's be honest. On the other hand, she's been feeling this sexual tension with this guy. Like, they almost make sex. Make sex. They almost make they love. Have- make sex. They almost have sex on horseback. And, like, it's sort of implied that they're going to stay on different horses, and I really wish it would have happened logistically. But it, I don't know but how. He, he manages to pull back at the last second because he thinks, oh, no, her body is so fragile, and if we have sex here, it's on the rough ground. <laughs> Which, on the one hand, like, cool, because they're on a rocky slope. Like, it would not be comfortable 
But on the other hand, like, dude, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. So, I mean, it was, it was crazy. So then he also, he's made this determination that he's not going to have sex with Frances. He's not going to have sex with this woman who he has, feels this amazing attraction to. Um, but then she pulls what? him into, you know, the one stall in the that's stable that's full hay. of hay. And they fall into it. So it's on the wedding night. He doesn't know that she's his bride. And he, he just can't say no. And but he doesn't want to have sex with her the yeah. night before his wedding because he thinks that's tawdry. So yeah. he just goes down on her and makes her orgasm twice? Twice, yep. Yeah. And then sends her inside. Because that's moral. No, that's he carries her, carries her to her bed, actually. And tucks her in. And tucks doesn't in. see her wedding dress hanging in the room. The whole like, thing. But at that point, she's figured out. She figures out while they're hooking up that he doesn't realize she's Francesca, that he thinks Franny is Francesca. Yeah. But and she doesn't let him in on that. She just yeah. continues hooking up with him. Well, exactly. She's like, she's like, I'm going to show him by making more sex with him. <laughs> right? She's like, I'll show him by showing him that he can't resist me. I'm like, okay, this is really weird. So then she thinks, all night she thinks about calling off the wedding. Right. Um, which, in my opinion, she should have done. But, uh, you know. Yes? Whatever, I'm not Francesca. The entire courtship was not what she'd imagined it to be? Yeah. Yeah, I think at that point, backing out would be reasonable. Yes. But so she goes... Is she pissed off because he's not clear about who she is? But also, she doesn't want the marriage of convenience he's described. Yes. That's like, the, the whole thing. The whole reason she agreed to marry him is because she did run into him before she accepted his proposal. And she felt such an attraction to him. She felt like they could have a marriage built on affection and love. Yes. So. Yep. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But then, then, but the reason she gives for not calling off the wedding is that the wedding contract is already signed. Mm-hmm. And she thinks about putting Franny, the cousin, in her place and actually giving him what he thought he wanted. Yeah. But here's the thing. Franny has unclear mental illness and is, like, mentally not capable of being a human person. Yeah. So, like, you're not just going to subject him to that you're gonna subject Franny who you love to that okay so anyway she goes through with it because she's already signed the paperwork and so he's standing up at the altar and then he's been insisting to everyone that it's a marriage of convenience but who is his best man who's his devil man it's devil and devil turns around and he's like oh you cheeky bastard you've been holding out on me and of course Giles realizes as she's walking down the well the wedding music starts, and he looks in the pews and sees Franny. And he's like, oh, shit. And then he looks at Francesca, and he's like, damn. And so, at this point, he realizes he's in the shit. Mm-hmm. He also realizes all the things he said to Francesca last night, thinking she was not Francesca. And, like, yep. he, he's, he's fucked. Yep. He sure is. He sure is. Oh, 
It's, I mean, the whole thing is just ridiculous. So one of the tropes that his marriage of convenience has is his plan is for them to only stay together until she's knocked up and then they're going to separate. Oh yeah. Well, that's, that's what he, that's what he tells her. So actually I, okay. I have to admit that I liked this part of the book because I thought it was hilarious. Um, basically Francesca decides that she is going to call him on his marriage of continuance bullshit. She's basically like, I know that we can have a real marriage of affection, love, companionship. If he would just allow himself to do it. Um, so he tells her, I want a marriage of convenience. And she's like, what does that mean? And he was like, okay, as long as you give me an heir and a spare, then we can go our separate ways. And she's like, okay. And when I get pregnant, are you going to stay faithful to me? Or are you going to look for mistresses? And he's like, I will continue my life of leisure as a man on the town. And she's like, fine. Once I get necked up, I also will do the same thing and find myself a lover. I actually kind of liked that a lot because she was oh, like, I'm not waiting for the whole air and spare thing. I'm waiting until I'm prego and then I'm doing what I want. Right. I will not risk you raising your air or your spare as a bastard. But if I'm already pregnant, fuck it. Right? I I like. I was like, okay, Franny. I, I, excuse me, Francesca. I was like, you you go, girl. I was like, that's right. Basically, she's just calling him on his, he's just calling his bluff. Which, this happens the morning after the wedding mm -hmm. night. Which, I would give her more, like, go you, girl points if she hadn't absolutely caved and had sex with him immediately the night before. Oh, yeah. Of course. But <laughs> on the other hand, she was, she's like, I've been wanting to have sex with him forever, so I am, regardless. Very serious question. How many doors are there into her bedroom? Okay, so I I know that I'm thinking minimum three. I think but it's not thinking four. Because, so, there's a literal, like, opening doors parody. Mm-hmm. Right? So he comes in to greet her through the main door off the hallway. Yeah. They get in a fight. She shoves him out the adjoining door that, like, connects their bedrooms. Then he comes in through a secret door. Then he comes. He comes in through the door that's um, through her dressing room. Because there's a secret door connecting their dressing rooms or something. Right. So he comes. He goes through his dressing room into her dressing room into her room. So I guess if you count the room to the dressing room as a room to her room, then that's four doors. Why are there this many points of access? I, I mean, I don't know. Played this out. Obviously, other earls of Chillinghurst have had issues with their brides. Um, speaking of the fact that he is the Earl of Chillingsworth, or Chillingworth. Chillingworth, yes. Uh, oh my god, I, when I was going to find the book jacket for this book, literally on Amazon and Goodreads, they had the wrong title. They call him the Earl of Chillington. We know, he's appeared in like four of the previous six yep. books. We all know his name is Chillingworth. I, so, I know I did just call him Chillinghurst, so sorry. I apologize for that one. <laughs> so, here's what I will say about this sexiness on their wedding night. He knows she's a virgin and he is taking his time and being gentle with her. And then she does something once they start having sex that pleasantly surprises him. This, this like move that apparently only experienced women know. I was like, okay. Sure, whatever. I'm not even gonna get onto that right now. And she says to him, Mid-coitus, 
describes how she learned it watching her parents have sex. Yep. And if you think, well, that's a disturbing comment, it's not a comment, it's a whole conversation. It's a whole conversation. It's Wild true. thrusting is occurring. Yep. And I died inside because I hated it so much. But you also loved it because it was so bad shit. I mean, and tell like, me I'm wrong. Not just that time. The next time they have sex, they think about her parents doing it and talk mm-hmm. about her parents doing it. And then there's the day that they sneak out to the, like this folly, like last house of romance and joy. And he's like, he lied to her. He had watched his parents have sex once in this little room. And then they have sex where his parents did. I'm like, this is awful. Yeah. Awful. No one needs to think about this. He, like, literally thinks to himself, well, I've never seen my parents do it, but I saw them getting ready to do it. <laughs> paraphrased. Paraphrased. And now I'm going to take my wife in the exact same spot. Yep. He's like, I see why. My dad had good taste. I hated all of it. it I can't stress, like, how much that ruined what would have been very sexy scenes. I mean, yes. It, it, for sexiness, the, the hilarity was high. The hilarity was really funny. I texted Meg while reading this book. I was like, I think my standard for a good sister is how many times does it make me talk to myself out loud asking what the fuck is happening? Yes. And this one, so many times. I, I had a literal laugh out loud moment in this book. So what happens after the wedding, after the wedding night, after their talk about the marriage of convenience where Francesca seems to agree with him and say, okay, fine, we'll do this marriage of convenience thing. Um, I'm finding a lover once once we get pregnant. So yeah. get me pregnant. So basically put a baby in me so I can go find another lover. Of course, really, she's trying to subtly get him to fall oh, in love with her. Right, which, fine. You know, I, have no, I actually have zero problems with this plan. Um, she's trying to figure out what his issue is with falling in love. So she goes to talk to his mom and his aunt. Mm-hmm. And they're talking, she's like, what was he like as a child? And then they start talking about how he was this carefree child that he witnesses until he witnessed his father's death, untimely death, which was really sad. And he and his father shared all the same interests, like shooting, riding, that sort of thing. That's a little quote from the book. Uh, at what age, how old do you think Giles was when his dad died? I mean, I know the answer, and it's younger than any, to make any of those things reasonable. Giles was seven years old. Seven years old, out on a ride with his dad. When his dad falls off the horse, hits his head, and, and dies. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. I was like, when the, I, I was like, literally started laughing. I was like, <laughs> when my daughter's about to turn six, and I would know, we have a lot of shared interests, but they're mostly like, eating dessert <laughs> or also if i was asked to describe someone and what they were like growing up i would not exclusively talk about their life ages one through six right? that's where i put like the brunt of the emphasis it was it was really funny also okay i just said that i have a lot of shared interests with my daughter which i do i would never describe it that way like i'd never say yes my daughter and i share many interests when she's six like, okay, maybe my mom and I share a lot of interests now, but right. we did it when I was six years old. No. It's, uh, it, it was a ridiculously worded sentiment and a ridiculous sentiment. Yes. And then also the estate basically has been in a time warp since he was seven years old. So yeah. um, there has been no harvest festival. 
there. He's fallen out of touch with, like, all of his family except for his uncle. But I have a problem with this. Okay, one quick trope. She's a sad, tragic orphan, which is part of why she's so obsessed with this idea of building up the family. Mm -hmm. So, as we mentioned, they're distant cousins. He knows his first cousin or second cousin is his heir. He knows his heir presumptive. But he doesn't know who that, like, the next in line would be. Correct. And then Francesca takes on a project to find all of the extended Rawlings and bring them together. So on the one hand, the next in line is some, like, eighth cousin they have to go back five generations to find. Mm-hmm. But the family's so big, there's 300 people packed into a house and not even everybody was invited. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to me that the family tree four generations back could be so sparsely populated. Because what did he what did he say? He said because he actually literally talks about it. He was an only child. Mm-hmm. His father was an only child, but before that, the two generations back were eight and eight. Yeah. So, and I guess they all had eight kids each. But I mean, it just did not make sense to me. Like I have a really big family. Mm-hmm. And a really big extended family, and even our family reunions maybe hit one fifty. And like. I have seven cousins, and my dad's one of four, and his dad was one of four, and his dad was one of nine. Like, I mean, it was a Catholic Jersey family. Prior to this generation, everyone was having at least four or five kids. And even then, we go out, like, several generations, and we're not even 300. So with the nebulous family being so small, I find it really hard to believe. Well, they invited other people, too. Didn't they invite Devil, too? Yeah, and some friends. It was the Rollings and Friends party. And Friends party, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, I, I think that they did invite everyone, all the, they invited all the Rawlings to the ball, but they couldn't invite them all to dinner. Right. They didn't want to prioritize for the dinner. But this was hilarious, too, because, like, Devil and Giles have, for reasons, have been trying to find his heir, second heir, for... It like a week or two? What? It has to do with the murder plot. So yeah, it has to do with the murder Somebody plot. has been trying to kill Francesca, but, but in it, ways that are, like, easy enough to explain as coincidences or accidents. Because they find things like her prized possession, which is this writing hat, is found bashed. And her salad dressing smells like bitter almonds, a.k.a. if someone's trying to poison her. But it's found out that the dressing was made in an old almond oil bottle. And, like... So there's all these, and the only thing that sort of directly, and like her horse has a stone in its shoe. And the only thing- So she has to ride a horse that she can't control, and then, yeah. So the only thing that's like direct malice is they find reins tied around some trees, obviously they lead to trip someone. Well, to trip the horse, yeah. A horse, but so there's really, with the exception of that, there's no like clear foul play, but there's enough coincidences that Giles is convinced it's foul play. And so naturally, they want to go through his heirs to find out who might want to kill Francesca so that she doesn't have babies. Yeah. Well, my my favorite part is how Devil helps him find it. He's like, remember when this happened to me and who it ended up being? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, so they've been trying to find this guy for like two weeks. And then he ends up showing up at their party because Francesca sent him an invitation. Like, literally, dude, 
Giles is so dumb. Giles is so stupid. I mean, it has to tell you, like, the decline of the ruling class in England, like, started with Giles and Devil. Yeah. Because right? <laughs> all Giles had to do was be like, hey, Francesca, I know you're having a family reunion. Were you able to figure out this guy's location? And she would have been like, yep, sent him an invitation last week. Yep. So, um, obviously, at this ball and all subsequent balls, we have the sinister trope of you can only waltz with your husband. <laughs> yeah. And, and waltzing with a sinster, and, of course, we were including Giles here because he's an honorary sinster. Waltzing yeah. with a sinster is the like the most sensual experience of your life, except for being, other than being in bed with one of them. Yeah. Like it's basically foreplay. 100%. And I will say, I like this part of the book. At all of these lovely balls, we get a lot of dress porn. Mm-hmm. And really does use her feminine wiles to manipulate her husband and yeah. has the wardrobe and the body to pull it off. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about French, because that's the one thing that I that I kind of like too about Lawrence is she never, she, you will never see her falling into the, um, you don't know your beautiful trope. All of these women know exactly how attractive and alluring and beautiful they are. And they do not hesitate to use it. Yep. To the point that a young buck informs Francesca that she's very lovely thinking it's like, obviously a wonderful tribute to pay her. And she looks at him and goes, yes, I know. She's like, yeah, I know. I was like, yes. <laughs> This is actually one of the one of the replies that I read. So I read this blog about like I read a blog about setting boundaries and having healthy relationships. And one of the things is when if someone says something like, "Oh, I can't believe you didn't laugh at that. You have no sense of humor." One of the things you can just say is, "I, you're right. I have no sense of humor," and just just like accept what they say and move on. And that usually like stops them in their tracks. And I was like, Francesca was way ahead of her time. Yup, it was hilarious. There is also a moment when they get to London, right, where they have she gets knocked up. Spoiler. And they decamp to London so that they can both find mistresses. And she can find a mister. I don't know what you call a male mistress. Uh, um, Chichis Veo. Okay. Sure. Um, <laughs> I picked the Italian term, too. Yeah. So she, but obviously, she takes the ton by storm. They end up, like, being very in demand socially and just spending all of their time together. And no attempt at all is made to find other people. It's not even talked about. Literally, the second they get to London, it's never brought up again. It's awesome. I love it, actually. It's great. But so he, like, misses her. And so one morning, he kidnaps her from her social engagements. And where does he take her? Jewelry store. Why? Custom-made emerald necklace. Right? And then, after that... Like, Giles gets it. Yeah, yes. And after the custom-made emerald necklace, he's like, let me get you a gown that mat- that will show off your assets, including this this necklace. And so they go to the dressmaker's shop to get the gown. Yep. Which she puts on, and then she wears home, but not for very long, because as soon as she gets home, she <laughs> takes that shit off. Which, for the record, fine, take the dress off. Always leave on the jewels. Yes. I don't think they did. I mean, they might. I don't remember if it's a dress, actually. It was not discussed at all. And I'm like, I need you to remind me. That she's yes. just wearing these big-ass emeralds. Yes, yes, because she also was like, I actually remember that, too, because she was like, I'm just going to put my coat on, because she was not taking those jewels off. Yup. It was great. She was like, incorrect, these are now part of me. Yeah, it was It was awesome. Of course, all the staff love her, including the Italian chef. Who was previously uncontrollable and caused major interpersonal dilemmas in the kitchen. And of course, but she's Italian, so she understands the Italian temperament. Very typical. Yes, fiery Italians. Yes. Yeah, so they there's this 
these descriptions of their conversations about how he goes on and on and on about one thing and then she goes on and on and on about another and you know they on all of this took place in the span of 10 seconds and i'm like oh god it's such a stereotype um, i mean that said i did i lived in nice for a year and one time i was at the train station nice is very close to italy it's in the train station and this italian girl like went off on her boyfriend and I happened to be with some other Italian girls and we were talking and they were like whoa they were like do you know what she just said to him and I was like no what and they told me the whole thing so I mean it is a stereotype but it does happen occasionally yeah so I think the last trope is Giles not only is reluctant to fall in love but he can't say it yeah until her life is in danger oh god Someone's life has to be in danger. Either he has to be in danger of dying or she has to be in danger of dying for this sentiment to come out. And it's awful, too, because even though they never talk about his feelings changing and even though the few times they try to, he insists he's this is still a marriage of convenience. There's all of this rationalization from her where she's like, OK, if I believe his actions and not his words, I have the marriage I want. So I guess I can just live with that. It's like. No, because what if his lashing out to prove you wrong one day is like him sleeping with somebody? You, girl. Well, I will say she she to be fair, fairish. There's she's like, well, if you, I have the marriage I want, except he's never said I love you. Will I be happy with that? And she answers her rhetorical question with, No, I wouldn't. He needs to. <laughs> well, so. and she asks about herself too about like the lack of affection demonstrated by the marriages in his family. Mm-hmm. And like, she's aware they love each other and are crazy about each other, but they're just very distant in public. And I think and it's just very, like, British, you know? Right, and she's like, no, that is also unacceptable. Unacceptable. I must be... I'm Italian and I need affection. Public ravishment. Yes. Um, FYI, she's 23 years old. He's 35 years old. Mm-hmm. There's a pretty similar age difference as between Flick and Neiman. So Demon was like, what, 30, 31? And Flick was 18. So it's like basically the same age difference, but it's not mentioned once. Like their ages are mentioned. The fact that there's an age difference, no, no, no problems there. Which I prefer that. Yeah. No, I prefer it too. I just was like, this, the internal sinister logic is failing me again. <laughs> Yet again. I don't know. I mean, at least Francesca's not 18. That's all I got. He's not 18, but also there was such an emphasis on Flick's innocence, and there's such an emphasis in this book on on her worldliness, right? I mean, she she even already knows how to fuck really well because she watched her okay. she got she got yeah. some tutoring. Huh. Um, that was going to be my final thought, except for the fact that I just had to mention that Devil grinned devilishly twice. So the first time I was like, okay, that's silly. Then the second time was like in the epilogue and she set it off with, um, italics hyphen. and hyphen. Yeah. I, italics and hyphen. So it was like, in case you missed it the first time, he's devilish. I was like, Oh my God. Oh, All right. So I think at this point forward, we're getting into real spoilers. So just a heads up because, one of the things that is offensive, you can't talk about without giving away the literal ending. Yeah. Okay, so, so uh, what offended you, Meg? 
Well, first of all, did I mention that he tries to seduce his future bride's best friend? Well, that's what he thinks he's doing, yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, he's like, yeah, this is probably not a good thing, but I don't care until, like, the very last minute. He has some squirmish. Some squirmish. Some. What's the word I'm looking for? Squeamishness? Squeamishness. Yes, maybe that's it. Some standards. <laughs> the very last minute, he's like, okay, no penetrative sex. Yeah. Which, yeah, that definitely doesn't change the fact that you just fooled around with your bride's best friend the night before the wedding while she's sleeping in the house a couple feet away. Yep. Yep. So I was, I I don't know, like, what, what, what do you think Stephanie Lawrence wanted us to feel? Did you think she wanted us to, like, think it was funny? Did you think she, I I don't know how I was supposed to react as a reader, because I was just like, it, it, because the sex was hot, but I was grossed out by the whole situation. I think you're supposed to be in on the joke that you can't fight faith. Yeah, I guess. I don't think you're supposed to read anything into his behavior or what that says about his personality or his morality. I can't stop doing that. But right. I think Stephanie's Lauren's intention was that you're watching him be knocked down a peg and he hasn't quite realized it yet. I guess. I, I just... I didn't enjoy that. Yeah, me neither. Um, so there, she uses a racial slur to, to um, describe her. He calls her a gypsy several times. Mm-hmm. She's the gypsy. You know, he doesn't know he doesn't know her name also because he never asks, right? He's been Which, making out with this hot gypsy. Why would you ask her name? Um, so that's luckily he's it's luckily. I mean, it, he stops referring to her as that after they get married. But, um, but in the text. yes, it's yeah, exactly. And as we mentioned, parent sex. Yeah, it comes up a lot. Like even even once is too many times, and it comes up like at least three times. Yep. At least. At least. Well, and I'm just talking about like sexual encounters because they. She also refers to like parent sex. Obliquely. We'll get to that in a little bit. I, I put it under sexiness because I, I found it more funny than offensive. Yeah. Um, and then the last and most offensive thing in this text is the handling of mental illness. Absolutely. It's and this so is the- So uh, Lane mentioned that Franny is developmentally disabled. We're not exactly it's sure. It's never clear. It's never clear. I mean, I don't think they were clear either. So I, I understand. I do understand that. I think Lawrence was trying to go for what the understanding would have been at the time, right? They didn't want to put her in an asylum, so they wanted to keep her at home. Um, Charles, Francesca's uh, guardian, lives just out in the country. He doesn't go into society, basically so that they can keep Franny out there, away from yeah. And so she's kind of described as not... Like, she only answers questions directly, honestly, and literally. Right. She doesn't have any real read on social situations. Mm-hmm. She throws tantrums like a small child. Yeah. She's literate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, in some ways she seems delayed, in others she seems to lack social understanding or boundaries. I don't think I think basically whatever character traits Lawrence wanted to give Franny she just chopped it off 
mental illness and there was no real effort to replicate any understanding of mental health? Oh, no. It's not like Lauren's found something in um, the DSM and was like, okay, this this is what she had. She had this specific mental disorder. Right. Um, I'm going to try to uh, portray someone authentically who has this issue. No. It's not like Franny had schizophrenia and, you know, which in some ways could have, um, if it had been done better and differently, it really could have actually described what happens. Uh, but no, like there's no attempt. And so what, that would be offensive enough in and of itself, but Franny ends up being the person trying to kill Francesca mm -hmm. because she's deluded herself into believing that Giles was courting and in love with her, only married Francesca for the aforementioned piece of land, and that what he really wants is Franny. So Franny's plan is to kidnap Francesca, steal her baby, and then marry Giles and raise the baby as theirs? Yes, because Franny, Franny has been told all her life that she can't have kids or shouldn't have kids. Maybe either, either or, or both. Um, well, and the reason she shouldn't have children you're probably thinking, if you've never read this book, oh, like, would she be a danger to the child? Is she not capable of being a mother? No, it's because apparently a particular brand of insanity is genetic. Her mother also tried to kill her father, and that's how she died. Mm -hmm. And her grandmother was nuts and tried to kill someone, and that's how she died. Mm -hmm. And apparently it gets worse with age, so it's a degenerative condition. Yep. That you go from just being, like, a little not all there to fully delusional and willing to kill for it well and that's why i'm saying in some like in some ways schizophrenia could work because it doesn't happen until um after adolescence so you think someone is is someone does develop normally until there's a psychotic break and then diagnosis like schizophrenia could like sort of make sense except that doesn't explain the fact that she's developmentally related childish exactly Exactly. I mean, if, if there had been any effort made, you know, it, it would have been preferable to what you got, which is all sorts of weird things get stuck together. So basically, she ends up being a, and it's, she says it several times, that she's like mentally 13, basically, right? Like, I think that's the age that, that, that she identifies. So she's developmentally apparently 13. So she's a developmentally delayed homicidal maniac who manages to premeditate several murder attempts, including murder for hire. Yeah. She hires men to kidnap, rape, and murder, eventually, Francesca. Yeah, and the other thing that was interesting is, like, her attempts at murder, in her mind, were only targeting Francesca, but really could have killed, like, anyone. Yeah. Including Giles, as he points out to her. And it just... It was so inconsistent and offensive. It's really offensive, because yeah. Because once again, you have condemnation of genetic lines, right? Like, the sinsters really do come back with their obsession on family to, like, purity of breeding. So sinstery, yeah. And it goes all the way back to the first book with Charles. His grand problem was that he was his mother's son. Mm-hmm. And that line was fucked up. And it's like, well, Francesca even says it's their first cousins, but it was Franny's mother's side that was crazy, so Francesca doesn't have that. Yes, and Giles is like, oh, I hadn't thought of it, but yeah, that's a good thing. And it's also a little tie-up with a bow 
this idea that, oh, isn't it great that Giles didn't get what he wanted? Yep. Yep. Because if he'd gotten Franny, who knows what would have happened. And it's like, exactly. this is so gross. So there's all but that offensive stuff. So bad shit. Um, but this book was pretty sexy, though. Right, when it wasn't about parents. Yeah, so there was, like, the whole parent move thing. Um, and also, well, so actually, that's, that is the problem with the sex. I, I can think of, like, one sex scene that I thought was pretty sexy. And all the others, they either talked about parents or there was this mistaken identity thing going on, which just kind of took me out of it a little bit. Yeah. But also the one I'm thinking of had some of the stupidest puns I don't they weren't even puns but like word plays so basically he's like trying to get her to pay attention to like focus on something else so that I did not understand this sex scene oh it makes no sense but I kind of I just enjoyed it like in principle yeah you know like did I did I think it was like would work in real life probably not he has her look at a tree Look at the branches on the tree. The big, thick, knobbly branches. <laughs> and then while he, basically while he manipulates her body into orgasm. Because apparently the fact that he's asking her mind to focus on something else makes the pleasure better? I don't know. I don't really know either. And this is it, this is something that Lawrence does too. These things that I just don't think exist. She like talks about like the second peak of pleasure or like the next wave so like not only do they like have sex and it's like amazing then it like gets even better and I'm like I mean oh maybe it does exist and I've just been living in the wrong world for many years but I'm pretty sure sex doesn't work that way I mean so here's the thing in terms of sexiness Lawrence is good at writing sex but there was so much weirdness in these between parents and trees that I couldn't find it truly sexy but if I'm ranking the sex scenes on that shittery 10 out of 10 Oh, this is oh, absolutely <laughs> this is absolutely the bat shittiest, and I am counting the one where she rapes the guy. That one was more overall bat shit. Yeah, but this one had bat shittier sex. Oh yeah. Um, and the, can I, I mean, they had sex in a dreamscape. In yes, that they did. So, like the fact that we're saying this one more often had us going, wait, what? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, can I tell you, so, of course, oh, and this happens in all the sincere books, too, It's like, after they, after they get married and they have sex, like, the men have sex during the night, and then they also have morning sex, and then the men go off to ride their horses while the women, like, lays about in bed, and then the women are, like, super hungry, so they eat, like, a ton of breakfast afterwards. Well, in this book, Francesca realized, oh, her mother's quite remarkable appetite in the mornings was now explained. But once again, she's thinking about her parents having sex. Yes. The woman can't stop. She can't. She can't. And then my other favorite part was, so they're in London, and they're basically having, like, this awesome sex every single night and morning yeah. because whatever. And so she's out in the social world. Um, I had to, I just had to excerpt the entire thing because I think it's so funny. Francesca's, so she's out at a, I don't know, afternoon tea or something. Francesca's mind constantly slid away, seduced by her memories. At one point, Honoria arched a knowing brow and left her blushing. She wondered who else saw through her social veil and correctly guessed the cause of her distraction. (laughs) It's such a sinister thing. 
to feel like every thought you have is written all over your face. <laughs> well, like, and not only that. So often the men are like, I know where my wife's mind is. And it's like, no, you don't. It just cracks me up because it just made me feel like, okay, every time I'm, say, at a staff meeting now and I get a little distracted, because we all know staff meetings can be a little boring, right? (laughs) Is someone out there thinking, hmm, I know what Meg did last night. (laughs) It's so stupid. Like, I don't know. My general default when I see someone distracted at a social gathering isn't asked, so you did it last night. Are you recently married? Yeah. Like, my default if someone was distracted was, they look distracted, maybe I should go talk to them so they're engaged in what's going on. I don't know. It would not be like, let me speculate on the cause of their distraction. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, this book is so batshit. None of the characters believed, behaved in a believable way. Oh, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. But most of it was insane. I mean, so we went through the whole sinister books, and it starts out real strong. There's a little dip in the middle. It it ends, finishes well, and then I think this is, like, the cap on it, the honorary sinister. She was like, okay, I got to get back to basics and, like, get me some batshit. This mirrors Devil's Bride so closely. It does. It really does. It's very similar. And it's called out in text that it does. So, yeah. But, so then just to end the conclusion... Obviously, the end of this book, because it wouldn't be a sinister without this trope, is letting someone get away with their crimes because they're family. Mm-hmm. Got to cover that's up. That's what yeah. have really been about. That's, I mean, honestly, I swear to you, it's in every single book. Well, either that or they die so they don't have to deal with it. It's one of the yeah. other. Yeah, one or the other. you're murdered so the family doesn't have to expose its secrets, or you're let off scot-free so the family doesn't have to expose its secrets. Yes, I think this may be the first book where a murderer doesn't die in the end. Well, she's not really a murderer, though. That's true. She doesn't actually murder anyone. She just attempted it. Yep. Pretty, Bad. pretty poorly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. So anyway. I really thought when the gunshot went off in the church, she was killing herself. Oh, I, I was afraid that would be it. Yeah. That's what I've, I've come to expect back from the sisters. The fact that, like, she just fired a rogue bullet was actually refreshing. <laughs> right? Right? Oh, my gosh. This book. Um, I will say, I think we're going to take a short hiatus from the Sinsters for a little while because I think we're, like, at batshit maximum. I just felt like we had to at least get Giles in there so that we could yeah, end I on a truly Yeah, I was ready to take a hiatus after the last one, and Meg was insistent. We do I, was like, I was like, just do this one, and then we're done for a while. <laughs> But you can look forward to some new series from us, so stay tuned. Yes, well, we really hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast as much as we enjoyed reading Stephanie Lawrence All About Passion. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe.